0: And I asked him this question, why the frick do humans have to go through struggle? And he chuckled and he goes, very good human question. And he just said, my, my dear, in order to have highs, one must understand lows. In order to be happy, one must truly appreciate and respect sadness. In order to have light, we must have dark. Life is polarities. We have to have the polar extremes in order to have the other experience. And that made me learn to fall in love with the challenge.
1: Hello, beautiful people. On today's podcast, we have the lovely Kim Morrison. Kim is a five times best-selling author with her most recent award-winning book, The Art of Self-Love. She is the founder of 28 Essentials that sells organic essential oils and chemical-free skincare. And she is a coach specializing in breakthrough sessions runs a self-love and wellness mentorship program and is a host of the self-love podcast. What I personally love about this podcast is Kim's passion to understand why humans have to go through struggle. Kim is certainly not shy of hardship herself as she shares her story of being in the fetal position on the bathroom floor. Thinking her marriage was over, her grandmother had just passed, And she had just lost all of her money in the financial crisis. A truly defining moment in her life, she realised we all have a choice to get back up. And get back up is what Kim did. She shares the beauty of experiencing the spectrum of emotion, the importance of understanding the polarity of life and the true power that lies within the practice of self-love. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share with friends and family, particularly I'd say in this one, if you know of someone that is currently experiencing what we could call a quote unquote dark moment, become part of the To Be Human collective and be present in this beautiful conversation with the lovely Kim Morrison. Welcome to the To Be Human podcast, the beautiful Kim Morrison.
0: Oh, thank you so much, sweetheart. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you. So, Kim, we're pretty similar. We're kind of raw and real kind of women. And I know that you're very open to vulnerable conversation. So in the spirit of knowing that, I would love to share something that I heard you say that really spoke to me. And it was quite poetic. And you said, at our darkest times, we are revealed. So I would love to know, Kim, when was that moment in your life that you were revealed?
0: I don't think there's just one moment, if I'm really honest. Being human means that there's usually often many moments and those moments can become, you know, parts that make us who we are, but we can only say that on the other side of it, I think. When we're in the throes of it, it's the last thing you want to hear. But there's probably been a number of them, you know, it depends really where I go, but but one that stands out, you know, lying on my bathroom floor, I couldn't breathe. I thought my marriage was over, Uh, my grandmother had just passed away, we just lost all our money in the big financial crisis. It was just like one knock after the other. And I remember lying in the fetal position on the bathroom floor and just, I had nothing. I, I had nothing. And probably the darkest moment that I've ever felt. Um, Like I said, there's been lots of dark moments, lots of tragedy, lots of different things that have affected me in my life. But certainly, I think when it it, um, accumulates, and then all of a sudden, sometimes it can be the smallest thing that just pushes us over the edge. But often, it's because there's an accumulation of things that, you know, we're very good at keeping all the balls on the surface of the water and trying to keep everything intact and and then just sometimes it erupts and you know what we suppress eventually gets expressed and i think that day was a very defining moment for me where i remember distinctly thinking i got nothing and yeah that was a pretty defining moment
1: yeah i love that you share that story because when i first heard it i really resonated with it and i think most of us can I think there's there's always there has been a time in everybody's life where we've hit the ground in the fetal position just sort of as you said just absolutely given life everything that, that at that moment you feel like you've got when you shared at at our darkest times we are revealed what did that reveal about you in that time
0: I think I think everything got emptied if I'm really honest It was so dark and so um, disturbing that it's almost like you run out of everything. There's just nothing. There's numbness. It's like, and in that numbness, in a way, you've got nothing more to lose. So the revealingness in that moment is realizing that whatever you do now, the only way really is up because you can't go any further down. And I think for me, what it revealed was that I had nothing more. I, I, you couldn't hit me or hurt me anymore. You couldn't make it any darker. You couldn't, you couldn't have ripped my heart out in any further way. So I guess what it revealed was I got nothing left. So all that I've got now is is to get up. And I think, really, in hindsight, looking back, what I realize is that it revealed to me I did have the strength to get up and we all have the ability to make a choice in that moment to choose to keep getting up. And it doesn't mean that there won't be more dark moments or fetal position or bathroom floor moments, but each time you build a resilience, more tolerance, more resources, more scope of tenacity, more ability to actually read the signs before you hit rock bottom, And more forgiveness, forgiveness of self and of others, and all the other things that can occur in life. Realizing that we're all doing the best that we can with the skills or lack of skills that we have, and that there's no one to blame. There's, you know, we could say people have done things to us or that that's happened to us. But ultimately, everybody has that happen. So we're not alone in that. So therefore, it's not about what happens or what's done. It's how we show up, how we get up, how we respond, how we react, how we act in those moments. That's the only controllable we have. We can't control what happens to us or around us or for us. We can only control how we respond to that. So I think that real moment of revelation was realising that, The steam had been completely, the breath, everything had been completely depleted. I I was completely flat and empty. But in hindsight, the revelation was I thought that, but in truth, it wasn't that. I had the strength and the ability to get up again.
1: So in in that moment where you felt completely sort of exhausted and depleted, And that feeling of emptiness, do you think that was a significant moment in your life where you went from feeling like everything was happening to you and you were having to kind of like fight everything off to kind of having to, as you said, step up, have that inner strength and realize that you are in control of this situation a lot more than you ever thought?
0: I'm not sure I thought much in the moment, to be honest. And in those moments of, you know, there's a saying when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So when we're feeling incredibly vulnerable, emotional and volatile, I don't think intellectually we have the ability to compartmentalize or even think logically. I really don't, which is why I always think it's okay to express ourselves in those moments. But the real truth is we can't stay there. Nothing stays the same and nothing ever is the same forever. Even though it might feel like that in the moment, even though it might, you you may not see a way out, or you may not think that there's a way out. But moment by moment, breath by breath, hour by hour, day by day, we just do little things. And some days it's just breathing to get through that. And then the next day it might be a breath as you walk outside and stand on the grass the next day or week, it might be that you actually walk down to the beach or down to the park, or you take the dog for a walk, or you actually eat something of substance. I don't know what it is. But what I do know is it's the little things that matter. It's it's not that you have to triple jump, high jump to the highest and biggest end point. No, I think it's little by little, moment by moment, breath by breath, we do get through this. And I think it's a choice. I think it's it's remarkable. I, I can understand in that darkest moment of how people choose, you know. And I and I say this with love, but choose depression over um, rising up from the ashes. I can see that because it's easier to block out the world. It's easier to stay in that dark place. It's easy to give up, and it's easy to not forgive and hate on everything and everyone. The hardest part. Is actually choosing not to do that. And, you know, and I say this with love, because even though I wouldn't say I've clinically been depressed, or I could even say I truly understand depression, I don't. But when I heard a lady who spent six years in depression talk, and she said that she truly believes now on the other side of it, that depression is a choice it actually made me really think about it. Now, whether you believe me or don't believe me or believe her or don't believe her, it's an interesting conversation because the, rel- the relativity of that is when you go to bed at night and you finally fall to sleep, there is no depression or anxiety or worry or fear. There's nothing, there's nothing there. You are in a different state. And even in that moment when you wake for those microseconds that you wake, there's no anxiety, depression or fear. It's only when the conscious mind kicks into the memory of what's been going on, does all of those neurons kick in again, and the anxiety, overwhelm, depression, and fear kicks in. Now, none of us escape these feelings. None of us, I'm I'm yet to meet anyone who's never had them at some degree or some level, But the choice that we can make in choosing to get up, in choosing to try and walk through this, in choosing to know that one day this will be in the past and it'll be something that defines me, as opposed to giving up and saying the world sucks and it's not my fault. I guess it's that real above the line and below the line mentality. When we go below the line, we blame, we're in denial and we make excuses for our life. But when we choose, and we all do that, by the way, But when we choose to not stay there for long or we recognize we're going below the line and we step above, we draw that line in the sand and we become accountable, responsible and take ownership for our part, for our behavior, for our reaction to it, that to me is the most remarkable part of humanity. We all know people go through tough times, but I think you'll agree with me and movies are plotted on this where we are our own hero and you only have to Google the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell to understand we go through this ourselves. We set out on an adventure. We come up against things that you know challenge us. Then we get dragons and slayers and people that really hurt us or are out to get us And then there's a mentor or wise things. And then we see the treasure in the downfall. Then we come out and we actually are a new invented new version of ourselves. Movies are plotted like that. And let's face it, if we didn't have movies like this, where the hero goes out to do something, then life sucks. And then it's horrible. And then they overcome the adversity. And then they come out the other side and life's better. The movies would be boring. Our lives in many ways would be boring if it was just a flat line, one level. And I'll never forget being in Dharamashala in India. And I had the privilege of a one-on-one interview with His Holiness, the 12th Kenting Thaisa Tupa, who is the chief of all Tibetan Buddhist monks education. And I asked him this question, why the freak do humans have to go through struggle? And he chuckled and he goes, very good human question. And he just said, my, my dear, you in order to have highs, one must understand lows. In order to be happy, one must truly appreciate and respect sadness. In order to have light, we must have dark. Life is polarities. We have to have the polar extremes in order to have the other experience. And that made me learn to fall in love with the challenge. And I know that might sound challenging to some, but when I I remember going through that moment that I was talking about on my bathroom floor and sitting there with my therapist who was 90 and French, and she said, and I looked at her and I said, but what about my kids? They're watching us go through this. Hell, it's not fair. And she said, my darling, this is not about your children. You do not dump on your children, but this is an opportunity for you to show your children how to get through tough times. And it was those words that got me up off the floor. It was those words that made me go, yeah, I'm not going to be able to protect my kids from sadness, grief, shame, remorse, guilt, hurt. I'm not going to be able to do that. They're going to have their own life experiences. But imagine if I could show them that we can survive them, that no matter what happens, no matter how tragic, how sad, how awful, because that happens, how amazing would it be to show them that it's possible to come out the other side and I think that's really what that revealed to me sweetheart was the ability to actually know that we all have the capability to come out the other side if we choose.
1: I think that's incredibly beautiful and I think a lot of us can resonate with this you know time in our life where it's challenging and we we do things to almost try and escape those emotions. We, you know, we label them as a negative and we try and sort of like get away from them. And I certainly can relate that, you know, when I I truly opened my arms to embrace the whole spectrum of being human and the whole spectrum of emotion, it became a beautiful space because at any moment that I felt some form of sadness or unhappiness, like I knew that the depth of that sadness and happiness only provided me the gift of to feel more joy, to feel more happiness and connection. So with your time in Dharamshala, because I love, I love that you've been there. I've been there. It's such a beautiful, special, spiritual place. And I feel like you don't accidentally end up in a place like that. Can you talk more about your experience um, and your journey of of going to, to Dharamshala in India for anyone that doesn't know this. Um, about what brought you there and and more about the questions that you were seeking to be answered.
0: I had a vision and a dream that I would be able to see the full moon rise over the Taj Mahal um, in Agra on the 11th of the 11th of the 11th. And because I knew that that was a full moon and I decided that I wanted to do that because I'd been to India already with my husband. He's a cricketer, he played cricket for New Zealand. So we'd already toured India. And I find India itself is a place of extremes. It's incredibly wealthy and incredibly poor. It's incredibly dull and incredibly vibrant. It's incredibly rich, as I said, and incredibly poor, but it's also incredibly busy and incredibly still. So it is the land of extremes. And there's something very spiritual about India and the Eastern philosophies that we can take from places like India. And so I put it out there and I decided in order for me to get there and to experience it, I needed to take at least 10 people with me to cover my costs to do it. So I put it out there and I had 11 people sign up. I was the 12th. And we all went. We went to um, uh, Mumbai first. And also what coincided with it, what drew me there is I had a vision and a dream from the early 2000s to become a Hay Hay House author. And I really wanted to get my book published and to be in Hay House. And so India was actually the first international country to sign me through Hay House. And so we decided to also combine it with the launch of Like Chocolate for Women in India. And then I decided to coincide it with the 11th of the 11th of the 11th. And so I took these 11 people with me and we had the most extraordinary trip. But part of that was seven days in Dharamashala. Uh, At the Pulping Monastery in Sherablong, and I just when I had knew I was going to have the opportunity to spend seven days with His Holiness. um, That's what also it was attractive to the to the eleven people that came with me, and so we sat. For eleven days, uh, seven days, sitting there, the eleven of us um, listening to his teachings. Now he speaks better English than the Dalai Lama, so it was really easy to be in his space. But when I was chosen to have that one-on-one, there was people from all over the world at this at this retreat. Um, I realized how blessed I was to get that. and he blessed my book. And told me to keep doing the work and to remember that I can be a shining light, I can be a light. And by me seeking the truth or seeking answers or seeking spirituality or love or growth, by doing so, you become a ripple effect, a beacon, a lighthouse for others to believe and see the same. And so I'm not sure I had any specific questions except when I got to be in front of him and it was I was also researching because I was trying to understand why so many everybody goes through struggle. And then I remember walking up the side of one of the hills one day and I was with two Indian um, residents and I said to them, you know, how do you do it? How do you see such poverty here? How do you understand how cruel life is here? And they were like, oh, well, no, we don't see it that way. We, we see that we're chosen. And if we're chosen with a life of, of hardship, it just means that we work harder to make sure our next life, we're blessed with a better life. And so they see any challenge as a teaching, as a opportunity to spiritually evolve so that the next time you come back, you have it easier. And that kind of coincided for me with if we don't do the work. If we don't do the work when we're going through challenge, um, then we're just going to have to keep, or the universe is just going to keep showing it up for us until we get the lesson. So, and another beautiful therapist said to me one day, you have to feel it to heal it. So if we're trying to avoid it with drugs, alcohol, sex, partying, um, numbness, whatever it is that people do, which when we see people doing that, that's all we're doing is trying to numb the pain. If you do that, you're just prolonging the process, really, because at some point, you're going to have to face those demons. At some point, you're going to have to put your big girls or boys pants on and not blame anyone, anything, parents, upbringing, no matter what's happened to you you could look at it a different way with a new perspective, a new lens and say, what did that teach me? What could I learn here? How would that make me a better person? How do I not become bitter and become better? How do I show up for my fellow humans to show that it's possible to get through these experiences? And I think that's really what I took from India was, first of all, the extreme Understanding that there's always a polarity in thought. You only have to look at the world right now, Gina, to understand the polarity, the segregation, the division just over one simple topic to vaccinate or not vaccinate. Watch the world, what's going on. Now, if you really looked at that as one stick, if if this was the stick of, of health and wellness and beating COVID, if this one stick was that, and one end people believe vaccinate, and one end people believe to choose or not to vaccinate, then ultimately it's still the same stick. It's still the same stick for the greater good of the, of greater, uh, you know, for humanity. So who's to say one side is right or wrong? And I think what it's really taught me is that we're all doing the best we can with what we know. And if you really have been brought up to believe vaccination is the way to go, then of course, you're going to have that lens on. And of course, you're going to see all the research to support that. And of course, you're going to watch the news to hear that. But if you've been brought up with a lens of questioning or being curious about why or how or how can one thing fit all or whatever that curiosity is, of course, you're going to see the research that proves that's different. Or of course, you're going to show up with people that think differently. I don't think either way is right or wrong. I just think it's a beautiful, interesting perspective to respect and appreciate we're all different, not wrong. And depending on our upbringing, depending on our filter system, depending on how we generalize, distort, delete, depending on how we view the world with our values and beliefs, our upbringing, add on all of that. And we're actually all incredibly different. Not one person has walked your life. Not one person understands what it's like to be you. So how on earth does that give us the right or the arrogance to think we can judge another? And I guess for me, it's about putting on my rose-tinted glasses. It's not to say I don't understand tragedy or adversity or or challenge. I I do. I could share with you a multiple number of things that I've been through. But my story is no different to anyone else's story. And I think where I think my work lies is in the power of self-love, that if you really get to understand and master what it means to truly love yourself warts and all, then that foundation, that groundwork, that spiritual, that soul part of you will always be able to put on the rose-tinted glasses and see the world with love, not fear. There's only two ways to look at life, love or fear, and we go in and out of them. But my desire, my Dream is to teach people to create an opportunity where love will always be greater than fear. Fear holds a great place. And you touched on this just before. Fear, sadness, grief, um, conflict, shame, remorse, guilt, all of those emotions, anger have a very powerful part to play in our lives. And to sweep them under the carpet or to pretend they don't exist or that we shouldn't experience them is robbing you of being a human. But if we can use and understand, anger has a place. My kids nearly ran across a four-lane highway when they were four and five because I trusted that they wouldn't run onto the road. I got very angry and yelled out to them in a very angry voice, which saved their lives because they heard how angry I was and how loud I was, and they stopped just before they ran onto a four-lane highway. Trust me, anger plays a very good place. Also, I've been really pissed off when I've been hurt or when something's happened or when I feel, you know, when justification's not fair or whatever. And I have felt that, but then I've really looked at that in the moment and then been able to apologize for my outburst or if I've hurt anyone and what I've said, it's also putting on my big girl's pants and realizing that I was angry when I said that. And if you can forgive me for saying that, then I've got to learn also to forgive myself for saying that. And maybe what I can learn from that is next time I feel that anger welling, how should I address it before I explode? So I think every emotion has a place. And I think to be human is to honor that. Because when we do, we we get through those hard emotions or some would say negative emotions far quicker. We get to understand that shame reminds us of humility, that guilt reminds us of humanity, that anger reminds us of joy, that love reminds us of fear. So all of these things have an opposing opposite, if you like, and the ability to always have the curiosity, the mindset that it's there to teach us something, not to cripple you.
1: I absolutely love that. And just the idea of not suppressing those, you know, quote, unquote quote-unquote negative emotions because they are a part of you and at any point you're suppressing that emotion you're suppressing a part of you and I certainly lived a lot of my life um, shameful of being able to express different parts of emotions and when you suppress them they tend to sort of manifest in different ways that also probably aren't quite so positive so I think there is something very freeing and liberating in being able to hold space for yourself Whilst you work through those triggers, as you mentioned as well, and I think particularly recently in the last couple of years for me, particularly with COVID and, and you know going into self isolation a lot of the time and quarantine and all these things, uh, it's been a beautiful uh, reflective period for me to really um, be able to be more mindful and aware of what triggers me, and and as you sort of shared, not only to have people be able to forgive you for moments that maybe you lapse some form of sort of empowering judgment. But to be able to forgive yourself, and I think that's the power of awareness, to really give yourself the space to reflect on why you're behaving in the way that you are, that maybe your subconscious and your conscious are in conflict, but, you know, we've got the power to be able to, to heal that. And like you shared earlier, to be able to feel through that, which I think is something That's fundamentally changed my life is that we don't always need to think our way through things. We can just pause and really hold that space within us that needs some attention. So you mentioned self-love, Kim, and I know that this is such an important thing to you. You've written a book called The Art of Self-Love. I would love to know because I feel like when we really value things like this, I feel like it kind of reflects that there were times in our life when maybe we didn't value it as much or we didn't understand it as much. What has you, been your journey between potentially being someone that didn't truly understand what self-love is to now really embracing that and living that?
0: I think I feel very privileged that my mum, she had me at 17 she, I had a younger brother and sister. They divorced when I was nine. I went through sexual abuse and I went through a number of different things. But my mom was just so strong. She was fiercely independent and fiercely protective. And the fact that one of the um, perpetrators was put in prison for what they did um, also made me realize how ferociously okay I was, that I could be strong and protect myself um, my emotions as I grew older. But I think I didn't understand that at nine. Um, but by because of my mum's actions, I probably didn't go into a place of self-loathing or that it was my fault or whatever. And so I really feel for individuals or victims of any kind of abuse when that's not um, healed, if that's the right word, or when the perpetrator isn't seen or called on it. So then there's another level again for those that... That aren't called on it, that you then have to find another level again of maybe forgiveness for that person, but more importantly, realizing that it wasn't your fault. And realizing that the only way through that is to love yourself unconditionally. Now, you know, it's a challenging thing because when we're young, you know, we totally love ourselves. We want the whole world to notice us. You only have to look at seven and eight year olds constantly saying, Mummy, mummy, look at me, look at me. The whole world exists around you. And then it's between seven and 14 that we start to notice our peers and we start to have different opinions. And we realize that our mums and dads are different to other people's mums and dads and what they all believe. And so, you start having a little bit more independent thought as well as going through puberty. And then from 14 to 21 is when we think our parents are absolute dorks, they, they don't know anything. And that that is a natural human state of survival and evolution because the reason why teenagers and parents' conflict is otherwise Kids would never move out of home. Why would you when you've got someone always looking after you? So there is a natural evolutionary process of why we conflict through those years or why our teenagers do things differently to us, just like we did to our parents. But it's interesting what we did different to our parents is now what our kids are doing with our grandparents, which is why the grandparent-grandchild relationship is so powerful because they are in the polar opposites of what the parent is, if that makes sense. And I found that quite interesting to also let myself off the hook when my kids were going through their teenage years, I'd never been a mum of two teenagers before. They'd never been teenagers going through what they, were with a woman probably entering into perimenopause. So everything is fresh and new. Nothing is ever, you know, in written in text to say this is exactly how it goes. So I guess the real gem, the real magic in all of this is, no matter what. My mum said this to me when I was very young. There's a part in your heart, deep, deep in your heart or in your soul, right inside the heart that no one has access to. Only you have the key and only you have the lock. Only you can be there. No one can get there. Now, that means that when you need you, you can unlock that and call on that superpower or that beautiful part of you. But it also means that no matter what anyone says or does to you, they also don't have access. That's yours. That's that's the part of you that is wholly and solely you. Now, whether or not that's true, that symbolism for me growing up always knew that there was a part of me that had my own back. And I loved it. And I hopefully have shared that with my children. And you know that could be something that another parent listening to this might go, actually, I could use that. But I, I do believe that it's, the, the core, the source, the, the love. Because as we're going through those teenage years, if you recall, if you looked at someone at school and you thought, God, they love themselves, it was seen as a negative. It was like there was an arrogance rather than a confidence with that. And I guess that's the difference between ego and soul. And so when you are confident with ego, it's arrogance. But when you're confident with with soul, it's this amazing um, strength. It's love. It's, it's a beautiful resonance of a, a higher vibration. And so for me, understanding self-love, I feel very blessed that no matter what I've been through through my life, no matter what I've done or what's happened to me or whatever's been said or done about me, I actually have no control over that. But when I know that I'm a good person, that everything I do with an intention of being right or for the right reasons or for the right purpose, if I can go into that with that feeling that I'm doing it for the the greater good, then my heart feels good. But if I'm doing it for gain or to put someone else down or out of ego or to make myself feel better because someone else is doing better or greater than me, or I have a competitive mindset instead of a beautiful, creative, healthy mindset, I think we all know the difference is what I'm saying. I think we all know when we're manipulating as opposed to modeling. And I think we all know there's a fine line sometimes. And I think, honestly, that that real understanding that there's a cause and effect for everything, that whatever, when we're at cause, when we really do value who we are and we stand in that place of cause, then we create a more positive effect But when we're at effect and we're worrying about what other people think or feel, we're doing it for our own personal gain, then karmically, perhaps, there'll be things that prove that and there'll be things that happen for you to learn from that. Now, then you could say, well, then why do bad things happen to good people? That I don't know. Apart from at an esoteric spiritual teaching, I just believe at a soul level, there is a test for us to rise above, to keep learning, to keep uh, evolving along the spiritual realm of what it is to be human. Now, I have no idea if that's right. That's just what sits with me. Otherwise, why do two-year-olds get leukemia and 90-year-olds who have drunk and smoke all their life just go to sleep one night and... I was going to say, wake up dead, but that's not right. They, they don't wake up at all. Um, there's no, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And so the only way I can make sense of something not making sense is realizing it's bigger than me. And the minute I go on something's bigger than me, I realize it's not all about me. But I do know that whatever I do, whatever I think, whatever I feel, however I act has a ripple effect, whether I believe in it or not. So I could smile at you today. And know that you would smile back at me probably because a smile is just a beautiful thing. But you don't know that I could have just had really bad news 24 hours ago that a dear friend of ours is on life support. Now, if I showed up to you and said, I just can't do it, then that's you would have said to me that that's totally okay. But to show up here for you and for your beautiful listeners, And to know that by doing so, maybe a ripple effect, a a wave of goodness is also going to support, maybe at some level, our beautiful friend in Sydney on life support. Who knows? But is it better for me to feel like I can contribute and support and serve others in my times of need? Because I can tell you this, as I'm speaking it, it's reminding me to be that greater person as well. So I think sometimes we teach what we need to learn the most. And sometimes as we get life lessons, we also realize that the most powerful gift, when we don't know what else to do, when we don't know what our purpose is, when we don't know how to get up off the bathroom floor, then my grandmother always said to me, when you don't know what to do, serve, serve others, do something for someone else. And it's been the greatest gift for self-love for me by being able to serve another human when I'm at my worst Because all of a sudden it takes the emphasis off me and makes me feel really good. When we do something for someone else, no matter how bad you're feeling, when you can just even answer a text or when you can tell them you appreciate them, or when you can just say, thanks for making my meal, or thank you for taking the children for an hour, or thank you for the hug, then by thanking that person is also serving that person. I I call it the gift of giving and the art of receiving. We all love to give and we all love to do something for others at some level most of the time. But there's a real art in receiving that when we need it or when even when we don't need it. By not receiving or accepting things with the same grace that we love to give it, you're robbing that other person the gift of serving or giving. So I I don't know if that's answering your question, but I truly believe that self-love is one of the greatest inner resources we could ever tap into. When life's great, it keeps us humble. And when life's not great, it serves us to stand tall and strong and to get through those challenges with love, grace, gratitude, courage, strength, dignity. And we all know that there are people that wallow in the pity and the victimization of their stories. And we've all got and heard those people that repeat their story over and over And for many of us, if you're around that, you realize they're doing the best they can, but that can be incredibly draining and hard because sometimes they don't even want the help either. But when you watch someone going through a tough time, going through the hero's journey and they're slaying the dragons and they're trying to get up and they just try and smile or they'll have a giggle or they'll they'll say thank you or forgive me or whatever it is, my God, we want to help them even more or we want to stand by them even more. And isn't it rewarding to watch someone who's going through a challenging time just put one foot in front of the other, just keep going, keep breathing? And I think that, to me, is the mark of a great movie, a great book, a great character, a great person, is the ability to stay on track, just to put one foot in front of the other and to never, ever give up. And The most important part of that is to realize that, You know, I I often say this to my audiences, to those of you going through a really tough time, I've got some words of advice for you. This too shall pass. And also for those of you in a really good space in your life right now, I also have some words of advice. This too shall pass. Life is ebb and flow, tides come in and out, challenge, adversity, growth, love, friendship, fear, all of those things. So when we're in a place of true love and happiness and we're glowing and everything's great, just stay humble enough to remember other people aren't always in that space, but then to remember that the people that are going through challenge, you might be able to do something nice for them, just something little. And then when, that, when you're in the depths of despair, then hopefully someone will do the same for you. You can't rely on it, you can't depend on it, and you certainly can't expect it, but that doing something nice for you could be you doing something nice for you. And I just think that's the beauty of being human. It's never static. It's never the same. There's always highs. There's always lows. It's how are you going to traverse it with love, empathy, humbleness, and and love, grace, and, and gratitude to do the right thing by yourself and your fellow humans.
1: So beautifully said, Kim. Thank you so much for sharing that. Certainly something I'm going to re-listen to and and, and take in even deeper. And I just really want to say thank you for taking the time to to speak with me, um, particularly at a time when you have a friend that is on life support. So thank you. I, I really do genuinely appreciate that. In the name of in the spirit of service and speaking about service, I know that you're a coach and mentor to women and and Uh, guiding them to bring more self-love into their life and I find self-love an incredibly fascinating uh, concept and experience because I think it's something that um, sometimes people have a little resistance to Um, so in, in, in coaching and mentoring women what has been your experience with guiding them to have more Self love and acceptance into their life. Is it something that you find comes easier to people, or is it a it's a journey and an everyday
0: practice? I think it's an everyday practice for all of us. But I think what I've noticed out of my self love and wellness mentorship program, the women that have come in there, I just take my hat off to them. They pay a small fee every month to see me every week. We have Q and A's, we have guests, we have masterclasses, and we have challenges. And I set it every month and. I didn't think it would last more than a a year. And it's now into its second year. It's growing stronger. There's over 100 women in there. My goal is to get to 1,000. But I think what I love the most is, first of all, it keeps me in the work. You know, I have to show up every week no matter what. And secondly, um, I get real-life experiences with these people, these beautiful souls. So the things that I've noticed the most that keep us out of love with ourselves is those negative emotions, guilt, shame, anger, fear, remorse, conflict, hurt, sadness. Those are the emotions that hold us back if we don't embrace them for the gift that they are. But if we use them negatively, they stop us from growing. And the other big part of that is the triggers, things that trigger us into being not the best version of ourselves or trigger us into saying things we wish we didn't or perhaps glad we said, but now there's, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, an outcome from that. There's an overflow. There's a repercussion from that. And I guess what I'm teaching them is the power of loving self is the power of loving another human. So how can we possibly love someone else at a full, in the fullest, most richest way possible if we ourselves aren't demonstrating it to us? Now, we've been taught in many ways in our culture to grow up and, you know, to to not love ourselves in some ways, you know, it was seen as negative. But then it's like, if we don't love us, who are we? And if we don't appreciate our warts and all the, the constraints of who we are, then how can we possibly love everyone else? So I always say to people, if you can't do this, if it's a, if it's a struggle for you to love all parts of you, imagine you as the little seven, eight, nine-year-old girl or boy. Imagine what that little boy or girl would be saying when they were saying, I hate me, or I'm fat, or I'm ugly, or I'm useless, or I'm not good at this, or I hate life. What would you say to that little soul? And sometimes it's that little soul which is within all of us, you could call it the inner child or the inner innocence of who we were and who we could be. How would you talk to that person? You would never turn around and say, yeah, you're a bloody fool. or Yeah, you're an idiot. I don't know many people unless they themselves are going through a real challenge would say that to a child. And if they do, we know that there's a lot of work for them to do if that's the case. So I think what's really important is to understand that the power of self-love is recognizing and accepting ourselves for all parts, for the life that we've chosen, for the the parents that we had, for the teachers we had, for the sport we played, the musical instruments, the experiences, the great and the not great. It plays into what we call the tapestry of life and it molds us, it shapes us you know the knocks the bruises the cuts the chafing the 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 real ch- the, the mac trucks that can sometimes hit us it's it's all how we deal with those situations that tends to make us look inward and here's the other thing i actually interviewed a number of different psychologists why struggle or challenges there or why we end up going off ourselves at times And apparently, it is an evolutionary survival mechanism. So, when we're in fear or conflict or when we're worrying, it was a survival technique. That's what kept us alive. If we were worried someone was out to get us, we would be on much more alert or we would have our fight or flight. Um, Our parasympathetic nervous system would be on alert. Um, If we were worried about danger, we would have the same thing. Or if we were fearful or anxious, that I had to protect everybody, it was a survival mechanism. The difference is we would drop out of that parasympathetic state very quickly back into our um, sympathetic, sorry, sympathetic, back into our parasympathetic Parasympathetic is the peace, sympathetic is the stress. That's how I remember P for peace, <laughs> S for stress. So sympathetic nervous system gets dominated when we're when we're really stressed. But in years and, and generations gone by, we would flick back into our parasympathetic state very quickly. Whereas nowadays, we have stresses just by social media scrolling. We have stresses listening to the news. We have stresses driving. We have stresses worrying about our kids, our partners, our finances. We stay in sympathetic dominance a hell of a lot longer and more than what we ever have done evolutionary. And this is what's creating disease within our bodies and disharmony in our mental state. And we're on this treadmill and the sympathetic dominance, the stress response is, is kind of like we're, we're on, a dream or on the road to adrenal burnout. So I think where I, where I would love to come back to what self-love is, is the ability to love all of us, and to realize, yes, there's moments of stress where it's really good, but it's to really remind us to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. And there's two free ways you can do that that cost nothing. One is deep breathing. And the moment you take deep breaths, even when you're stressed, you are already triggering the parasympathetic nervous system. And you cannot stay in a stressed state when you're doing deep breathing. And the other way is gratitude. So being grateful you're still here, being grateful you're taking another breath, being grateful the sun is shining, being grateful for your kids, your family, whatever it is, there's always no matter how tough or challenging life is, there is always something to be grateful for. There is. So we can choose those two non- um, they, they don't cost you anything except a little bit of time and energy to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, the peaceful part of us that allows our body to calm. And that is one of the greatest acts of self-love you could ever give yourself. And I guess for me, that's where self-care comes into play. Looking after yourself as an act of self-love, forgiving yourself is an act of self-love and um, Drinking lots of water is self-love. Moving your body, standing barefoot and grounding, earthing yourself on grass or sand, hugging a tree, walking in nature, getting some sun on your skin, eating healthy foods... Um, supplementing if you are going through stressful times, eating foods as close to their natural state as possible, feeding your mind. Get off the, if I could give you one other piece of advice, get off the television, you know, watch documentaries or subscribe to FMTV and Gaia where you've got hundreds, if not thousands of unbelievably mind-blowing documentaries and films that inspire and motivate and delight the soul. You know, I think it's really important to understand the media is driven by um, statistics, which is fear-driven. It's not their fault. It's just how they get ratings. So if you know that, then know that everything we're watching on television is to have a fear response. I'll give you an example. There was a couple here on the Sunshine Coast that celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And the story was the celebration of their 75th wedding anniversary. And it was lovely. It had a few hits. But then they twisted the story and said they didn't know whether or not they would stay together or whether they should. There was something around conflict, something around losing their house, some drama, and they changed the story slightly. That had 500 more hits per hit, then 500 times more hits than the one that was just a nice story. So we can't blame the news. We can't blame television. It's our thirst for drama. It's part of who we are too. And recognizing that is also a gift of self-love. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question directly, but I do believe self-love is the act of honoring your own health, well-being, and state of your emotions and spirituality.
1: Love that. So, Kim, what are you truly grateful for?
0: The first thing that comes to my head is my kids and my husband. Um, You know, we've all gone through big challenges. I've got a daughter that's, you know, she's a ballerina, a professional dancer. Her beautiful dream came true at the beginning of last year. She got her contract to Germany. She finally started out on her you know 5 to 10 year career of dancing professionally and 12 weeks later she was back home due to covid and to watch yeah. her navigate through that has been really challenging but I'm really grateful to her because she reminds she that reminded me of how low and how quickly things can change but out of um to, to in credit to her, she finally picked herself up after a grieving process. I think allowing her to that grieving process, she's fallen head over heels in love. Um, she's also become a personal trainer, a Pilates instructor. She's now going down the same route as me with coaching, with doing NLP and I just and now we're looking at doing mother-daughter workshops together. And I just look at that and I'm so grateful to all of that story. I have a son who's aspiring to be a professional rugby player. I mean, his dad played cricket for New Zealand for 10 years. So it's no wonder he's also an aspiring athlete. And to watch him go through the highs and lows, being chosen, injury, it's like watching my husband all over again. But... (laughs) I'm grateful for the lessons he's teaching me and not being attached to the outcome and realizing he has his own pathway, his own um, road to travel. So long as I can be there for him, I have a belief that I don't want to push my kids. I don't want to pull my kids. I just want to walk alongside of them and let them know that I'm there to hold them if they need me, but also to push them slightly if they need me. And I'm incredibly grateful to my husband. You know, we have been married for 28 years. I mean, we were a fairy tale wedding. We were on the cover of magazines, you know, we're on the news. We were in, you know, as I said, we we're in magazines all the time. It was a very public, um, celebrity type wedding, I guess. And you know, through we got through all of his career pretty much unscathed. And then for him to lose his sister to suicide and then to go on his own downward spiral into self-loathing and depression and guilt and all the things that he went through to the point where we nearly lost our marriage. I am so grateful he came to his senses and he wanted to do the work on himself and that we worked through that together. So I'm very grateful to my husband and my children I'm incredibly grateful to my business and I've gone to shut the doors three times on my business over the last 12 years. It's been that tough at times and any business owner listening to this will know. It's never all just every day there's lots of sales coming in or every day you've got happy customers or every day you have got stock or supply in demand, you know, and all of these things and wages to pay and bills to pay. And so I'm very grateful I've been strong enough and had people come in and out of my life at the right times to grow that business. I'm incredibly grateful for my home. You know, we got wiped out in the GFC. This is the first house we've owned and we finally were able to buy after scraping for 12 years, we were finally able to crawl through and with a little bit of help from one of our parents and a little bit of luck, I would say, you know, we we got to buy this house. And I, yes, the bank probably owns more than we do, but I'm grateful for the ability to pay that off. And I'm incredibly grateful for launching my self-love and wellness business mentorship program just a month before COVID hit. I had no idea online Zoom calls were going to become so trendy and so easily accessible and to still stay in connection with people no matter where they are in the world. I have people log in from Canada, America, and, and the UK and South Africa every Tuesday. They log in to be a part of my world. I mean, that's beyond my wildest dreams. I'm grateful for every person that's bought my book, The Art of Self-Love, or any of the other five books I've written. I'm grateful almost, I could almost say I'm grateful for the the pathway we're in at the moment as humans. It is very uncomfortable for humans right now. It is very uncertain. It is very unrewarding for many people right now, and it's incredibly challenging. Um, But I'm grateful that hopefully at a much higher level, maybe it's turning us on to understanding what that psychologist said is that we have to go through struggle in order to wake up. We, you know, as I said to you, she said it's part of the evolutionary process, but struggle is also when we're hurting, is when we wake up more, when we become more aware and sensitive. When life's happy and easy, we don't tap into these deeper, vulnerable, more poignant moments of life. We don't reflect as much. We don't feel so grateful. It's the pains that allow us to be very grateful for all the pleasures and beauty in our lives. And I'm grateful for life itself. Um, You know, who knows why some people get chosen to be on life support or in a car accident or, you know, my my son lost one of his closest friends on New Year's Day this year when he was hit and killed in a hit and run. And to see a 21-year-old's life just taken, he was the only child of these parents that took four years to have him and to watch their pain and to see their agony. I was very grateful they chose me to lead the celebration of life for dear Henry and So for every sadness I've experienced, I'm very grateful for the opposing understanding that I will get through it, that I I do come out the other side and we do have more humbleness and more gratitude for what is important. So I guess you could say I'm grateful for many things, but I guess finally, I want to say I'm grateful for women like you. Because women like you that stand there bold enough to actually create a podcast, to create the ability to share your vulnerabilities and your story and your self-worth, we have no idea. It's called the law of procession at cause and effect. You have no idea the effect that this conversation, will neither of us will, unless someone tells us that they watched this podcast or this interview and it changed or it meant something to them, you and I will never know. But you and I are very grateful probably right now that we've had this conversation and we learn from each other whenever I'm interviewing or being interviewed, I always learn something about myself and the person that I'm spending time with. And so I'm very mindful that women like you that choose to stand up each time you launch a different interview or you share another part of you that there could be someone that's listening to you. I promise you there is. There's someone listening to you that really needed to hear that right now. And it's because you were brave, bold and courageous enough to say, hell, I'm going to do it. No matter how I'm judged, no matter how I'm seen, no matter how many mistakes I made, no matter how wrong or right it is, I'm just going to ride it and keep going no matter what. And by you doing that, you have become the lighthouse. You become the beacon of light that his holiness told me that I can be. We become the example for other people to do the same. Now, you don't have to have a podcast to do that. But maybe you might say, I heard a podcast one day that these people have this conversation and it allows you to have the conversation with someone you love without it feeling like you're lecturing someone. And I think that is something I'm incredibly grateful for, that you actually wanted me on your show. I feel very privileged. So thank you, darling.
1: Oh, thank you, Kim. Oh, gosh. I feel like my gratitude cup is full, my self-love and love from you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm receiving that. So so thank you. And, you know, you just made me think of something that my Angelou, Maya Angelou said to Oprah and she said that your legacy is every life that you've touched and you've certainly touched my life today Kim so thank you deeply I am certainly grateful for you so thank you
0: my pleasure my pleasure
1: so on a final note Kim I would love to ask you what does it mean to you to be human
0: I think to be human is to be all things all humans have all traits. Whatever you see in another is a reflection in you. Whatever you love about another person is a reflection in you. To know that the experience of being human is to experience all realms, all possibilities and all emotions. And to know that each one of us has every single bit of potential to be even greater. And if we can choose to stay in the work, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental and the physical work of taking care of this, this vehicle, the soul, this mind and the spirit is part of that legacy that Maya so eloquently says. So to be human is to be all aspects of all things and to know that we are the reflection of every single thing that comes back at us. I think it's a privilege and I don't think we should ever take it for granted.